are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. We are here to discuss Inside Man, which came out in 2006. Recently, I planned and set in motion events to execute the perfect bank robbery. That's also the when. As for the why, beyond the obvious financial motivation, it's exceedingly simple. Because I can. Which leaves us only with a how. And therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. It was directed by Spike Lee. It stars Denzel Washington, Clive Owen, Jodie Foster, Willem Dafoe, Chiwetel Ejiofor, and Christopher Plummer. And the genre would be bank heist thriller. Inside Man came out just over 15 years ago, and it's basically Spike Lee's one straight attempt at making a mainstream genre film. And it still stands as not only his most rewatchable film, but probably one of the most purely rewatchable films of the past 20 years. This film is smart, funny, suspenseful, and with just the right dosage of biting political commentary and one prominent dolly shot. Dolly shot is basically when the camera follows one object coming towards you to still remind you that it's a Spike Lee joint, meaning it's a Spike Lee movie. We call his movies joints. That's what he calls them. From the smooth opening credit sequence, watching a painter's van driving from Coney Island with the catchy song Chaya Chaya bouncing in the background, all the way to its slyly subdued twist reveal ending, this film is all early 2000s New York attitude in service of a pretty ingenious heist plot. The film was written by Russell Gerwitz, and the why and the how of the heist slowly teases itself out throughout the film, thanks to candy editing and a pitch-perfect cast. And this cast includes top-flight A-level actors, Broadway stage talent, and just enough regular New Yorkers to add a strong local flavor. And because of that, it always feels authentic, yet it never detracts from the three main stars who are shining in their roles, which play perfectly to their strengths. Now, among those stars is Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster really nails her ice queen, Manhattan fixer, perfectly. And she does the most with limited screen time. Everything coming out of her mouth is just dripping with disdain. And yet she still kind of comes off as likable somehow. Jodie Foster has been playing strong women in charge going back 30 plus years now. And it's fun to see her subvert that a bit by playing for the bad guys for a change. She's not presented as a good guy in this movie. Why don't you let me explain how I work? Please, that would be nice. <laughs> well, you say that there are family heirlooms inside your safety deposit box. That's fine. But in my experience, people like you have people working for them that handle these kinds of things. And when they can't, well, they don't call me. Their people call me. So immediately I know that there's something in that box that you don't even want your closest aides to know about. No problem with me. You tell me. I don't need to know what's in that box, and I don't need to know. But if you tell me that it's a bunch of old baseball cards, 
and I find out that it's the launch codes for a nuclear missile, then let's just say we no longer have an agreement. And this was clearly peak Clive Owen. And the same year he did Children of Men, which is a film I hope to review at some point. He's all scraggly with his face covered by mask for half his screen time and smug and even kind of sounds American as the heist mastermind. He's having such a good time throughout that when we find out that not everything he's doing is just geared towards his own enrichment, we're kind of more tickled watching him pull it off. We're kind of rooting for him. There's one moment of physical acting on his part that really always stood out to me, and it's early in the film. Upon discovering that the bank manager was lying about having a cell phone, Clive Owen, who's still masked up until this point, we haven't seen his face yet, he excuses himself in front of everyone. And he goes into a nearby office with fogged windows in front of everyone, so you could still see him, but you could just barely make out what he's doing. And we see him pantomiming, waving his arms, trying to figure out whether he should kill this guy. It's kind of a weird little juvenile show that he puts on. Right before then, he just steps out, grabs the bank manager, brings him into the office, and kicks the shit out of him to everybody's shock and everybody's screaming, and it's kind of a scary image. Having now seen this movie dozens of times, I still can't quite completely figure out why his character is doing this. I'm guessing it's maybe to intimidate everybody. But regardless, it's just funny to watch Clive Owen acting like Kevin McAllister from Home Alone behind this window, just waving his arms up, apparently to intimidate them. It just always cracks me up. Is this the president of Albania? Speaking. Pretty funny. You shouldn't eavesdrop on people. Well, you better get used to it, pal. It's not going to be much privacy where you're going. You're damn right. This time next week, I'll be sucking down pina coladas in a hot tub with six girls named Amber and Tiffany. More like taking a shower with two guys named Jamal and Jesus, if you know what I mean. And here's the bad news. That thing you're sucking on, it's not a pina colada. <laughs> Maybe you like that kind of thing. You really want to piss me off. And of course, the star of the show is still Denzel in all of his middle-aged glory, swaggering around in an oversized suit and trilby hat as Detective Keith Frazier. All of the Denzelums are in full force, including the John Wayne with Soul Walk, the intimidating laugh, the abrupt hand claps, and that thousand-yard stare. But he's playing a nicely fleshed out veteran cop who's not above maneuvering himself to move up the ranks. We still can tell that at his core, he's determined to solve this crime. The film uses a flash forward device throughout, showing him and his partner, played with tons of good humor by Chiwetel Ejiofor, interrogating every released hostage two on one. They're basically trying to determine if each of these people were in on the heist. And it's one of the great joys of this movie, watching Denzel take different approaches towards tripping each of them up. Some moments, honestly, almost border on cruelty, as he keeps asking one older woman if she robbed the bank, which she clearly didn't. But he still finds a way to have her leaving laughing as he gently tells her as she leaves, well, good night, my dear. There are just no shortage of great lines throughout this film, which definitely complement the tension. Fucking tired of this shit. What happened to my fucking civil rights? Why can't I go anywhere without being harassed? Get thrown out of bank. I'm a hostage. I get harassed. I go to the airport. I can't go through security without a random selection. Fucking random my ass. I, really lost I my bet job. you can get a cab, though. I guess that's one of the perks. <laughs> one particular favorite of mine has always been between Denzel and Willem Dafoe. Willem Dafoe plays Darius, who's basically leading the tactical team that's under Detective Frazier's command. Makes it even worse. They wanted us to bug them so they could send us on a wild goose chase. Last time I had my Johnson pull that good, it cost me five bucks. Five bucks? 
have Tijuana, don't ask. It takes top talent firing on all cylinders to make a juvenile exchange like that really work. And here's hoping that at some point in the not-too-distant future, Spike Lee decides to take another dip into this genre pool. I would gladly dish out a lot more than five bucks just to see him try. That brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. As effective as Terrence Blanchard's score is, this category is a no-brainer. We hear two remix versions of the same song play over the opening and closing credits. That song is Chaya Chaya. This is an Indian pop song from 98 by A.R. Rahman. And not only is this song super catchy, but it perfectly blends with the tone and swagger of our three main characters in this film. Over the opening credits, we hear this song play as we watch our van, filled with bank robbers, drive from Brooklyn into Lower Manhattan. It's just a genuinely inventive and attention-grabbing way to kick off the movie right after a POV monologue given by Clive Owens Dalton as he demurely tells the audience of his plan. And as if that wasn't cool enough, then Spike even takes it further by playing the song again to cap off the end of the movie, but this time with a hip-hop overlay from a hip-hop artist, I believe his name is Punjabi MC. And over a credits roll of each major actor with their name over footage of them just hanging out. I love this. Going back to the 70s and 80s, when they would end more movies like this, such as the original Dune or Cannonball Run, I'm just such a sucker for this type of end credit sequence, where you see each of the actors and their name while the music's playing. This one is particularly pretty dazzling in that we not only see all of the major stars, but we see all of the local New Yorkers, sort of actors, I think some of them were amateur actors, including folks like Kim Director, Al Patagonia, who apparently is a close personal friend of Spike's. He's not even really an actor, but he has a fun role in this. And he's appeared in several of his films. But needless to say, this film opens and closes in just a pitch-perfect manner, very much in part to the inclusion of this really catchy song. This is certainly among the best needle drops of the 2000s. And if I ever get around to doing an episode where I'm just ranking needle drops, this one would definitely be included. The next category would be Wasted Talent. This is basically the most underutilized talent involved with the film. In case it wasn't already obvious, this cast is just an embarrassment of riches. You have Denzel, my all-time favorite actor. You have the legendary Jodie Foster. You have Chewie, as I like to call him, Chewie Ejiofor, who has great chemistry with Denzel. Clive Owen, the man who I badly wanted to take on the role of James Bond around this time. He was actually in the running for it before Daniel Craig took it. And the late, great Christopher Plummer, who sadly recently left us. Late in his career, as he got into his 80s, Christopher Plummer, he just had a field day playing nefarious tycoon roles like like his Victor Chase in this movie. He owns the bank, and of course, he has a deep, dark secret. Now, added into this mix of great actors is an atypically small supporting role from yet another one of my favorite actors. Back in the 80s, this was the man who played, just a few years apart, mind you, Jesus of Nazareth, 
and also Rick Masters, who was the creepiest counterfeiter you ever met. And he played them both convincingly. And in between that, he just happened to steal a little movie called Platoon as Sergeant Elias. Yep, any poster you saw for Platoon, you saw with that indelible image of the soldier falling back with both of his arms up in the air. That's him. You know who I'm talking about. Willem Dafoe, who might just be our greatest living actor to have never won an Oscar. Now, it's undoubtedly a kick to watch him face off as a skeptical ally to Denzel in this movie, but I wanted more. And that's been a common theme for this category, as with other actors who have been chosen, because you can never have enough Willem Dafoe. The scenes of him and the rest of the gang in the van right outside the bank, they're just so engaging, I would have liked more of them. His character pretty much leaves the film entirely with more than a half hour of runtime remaining, and that just didn't feel right. This film already goes for nearly 130 minutes, but come on, Spike. You brought both He Got Game and Summer of Sam to over 140 minutes each. What's another 10 minutes for this movie when you could have more scenes with Defoe? That brings us to the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. If you want to sell this movie to somebody, this is what you show them. Now, as is the case with the best bank heist thrillers, there are just no shortage of entertaining sequences in this film. One standout scene has Owens Dalton negotiating over the phone, and his latest tactic involves basically laying out a riddle to Denzel's detective Frazier and his crew. Of course, the reaction from Frazier's crew is a kick to watch, because it also demonstrates the unique tension developed between the hostage taker and the negotiator in this instance. One side has much less urgency than the other, and it's not necessarily who you would expect. I got a question for you. You get it right, I'll give you more time. Right. You know what happens if you don't. Which weighs more? All the trains that pass through Grand Central Station in a year, or the trees cut down to print all U.S. currency in circulation? Here's a hint. It's a trick question. What the hell is that? Playing games now? It's the trains. U.S. money isn't printed on paper at all. It's cotton. Yeah, yeah that's, that. that's right. Okay. So no trees were cut down. Are you sure? Yeah, 100%. Okay. I got it. And that brings me to the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Now, I consider myself a Denzelet, and he's truly fantastic in this. It remains one of his most charming performances, so I would really like to select him. But sorry, at the end of the day, the MVP has to be Spike Lee. After Clockers, this was his first full-on step into a straight narrative film, and he really shines. With such a complex plot and so many different characters, Spike does an adept job at juggling everything to craft a satisfying caper. I mean, wow, this is the rare film where the top six speaking parts are all Oscar-nominated actors. Each star gives a strong performance, has a chance to stand out a bit, and yet none of them bog down the story or the pacing. No small feat. Beyond that, the film that most inspired him to take on Inside Man was one of his favorites, and one of my favorite films as well. And that would be Sidney Lumet's Dog Day Afternoon, which came out in 75 and remains the gold standard for bank heist movies. Now, not only are there loving homages and mentions of Dog Day Afternoon throughout this film, including two cast members from that film who have supporting roles in this one. But this film is true to the spirit of that 70s classic. Spike has always been one of the quintessential New York filmmakers. We've seen endless footage of him sitting courtside at Knicks games, just to remind us of that. 
Pretty much all of the film takes place in about three or four different locations in Manhattan. And beyond the locations, it just all feels so authentic. The accents, the attitudes, and of course the interactions. This film earns its place along Dog Day Afternoon as not only one of the great bank heist movies, but one of the great New York movies. You know what language they're speaking? Yeah, they're speaking Albanian. Albanian? Albanian. From Albania. Am I getting arrested? No, nah, you're not getting arrested. Come on, come on. Okay. What are they saying? I have no idea what they're saying. You got no idea? I thought you no. said you spoke Albanian. I never said I speak Albanian. You said you spoke Albanian. I never said I speak Albanian. Well, how do you know it's Albanian? My ex-wife and her parents are Albanian. Oh. Her parents couldn't speak English for shit. I have no idea what they're saying, but I'll tell you right now, the language is 100% Albanian. 100%. 100%. Now, is this the best film Spike Lee has directed overall? Probably not. It's not quite on the level of Malcolm X, Do the Right Thing, Clockers, and maybe even his recent gem, Defy Bloods, but it remains one of his best films. My overall rating for Inside Man would be five stars out of five. This film is a true gem. If you're ranking it among the categories for every star, you know, Jodie Foster movies, Denzel movies, Spike movies, bank heists, New York movies, doesn't matter. Movies post-2000. This is one of the best. It's a true gem. You can find Inside Man streaming on Peacock. And that ends another Larcenous Review. Please subscribe to the Living for the Cinema podcast. Follow and like us on Facebook and Instagram. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.